Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall. Thank you for joining us on the Top Docs Radio Show today. We're continuing our ongoing series with our partners, the Medical Association of Georgia. And we're going to be getting into a topic that is affecting many, many people around our country and actually globally. Clearly a big problem. Our guest today is certainly an expert on the subject. Dr. Adrian Mims is Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of Medicare Quality Improvement for Alliant Quality, which is Medicare's Quality Innovation Network and Quality Improvement Organization for Georgia and North Carolina. She's board certified in family medicine and geriatric medicine and has fellowship status in both specialties, has clinical practice experience in caring for Medicare beneficiaries, including basically the whole gamut of points of care, whether that's hospital, office, nursing home, hospice, and home care. And she's also a clinical epidemiologist with more than 20 years of administrative experience in using quality performance metrics to guide changes in clinical processes. And as we'll be talking about on today's show, much of the issue around the notion of antibiotic-resistant bacteria stems from overprescription or easy prescription, if you will, of antibiotics or uh, possibly going to an antibiotic that is far stronger and more broad spectrum than the actual current infection that we're trying to deal with may require, leading us to have a number of organisms that are more and more resistant to even some of the stronger antibiotics that we have available to us. So I'm looking forward to getting into the topic. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Mims. Thank you very much. The antibiotic-resistant bacteria that are coming around now, I guess with the with the evolution of all these different antibiotics and the, the tendency that we've had to just prescribe them when you're not feeling well. I think there's been a, in the history, there's been a little bit of a lackadaisical almost approach to prescribing antibiotics. I think in the early days, they kind of was an easy go-to, but now we're kind of paying the price for that a little bit. But by the way, it seems now there are a number of organisms out there that are becoming more and more resistant to a variety of antibiotics. You know, I agree. You know, we almost hand them out like water. They're almost free. And, you know, we've set up a culture where people show up for a visit for their healthcare provider when they're sick, and they think that leaving with an antibiotic means that they got good care. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we've gotten to the point that that's not necessarily the case. When we talk about antibiotic-resistant organisms, I mean, how big of a problem is that? I mean, is it, everybody's, I think, nowadays familiar with methicillin-resistant staph or MRSA, for example, but are there others and is, and are they becoming super, super bugs that are getting more super? Oh, yes. This is actually a very big deal worldwide. You know, in, um, in the American, in the United States, our CDC director who recently stepped down from that position, he was at a conference for um, WHO last year and noted that there's over 2 million cases that occurred in the United States where there were people who had an infection that was resistant to at least one of the antibiotics that's available. And so this resistance is becoming worldwide of antibiotics and um, being overused or used in the wrong settings. And people using them in these bacteria have gotten smart. 
they're saying I'm, you know, I'm, you know, resistant to it now. When it comes to looking at antibiotics, I mean, it used to be it started off with penicillin, right? And that was really basically all we had. Now there's kind of been a, a proliferation of different types. I mean, are there some that are still hanging in there where the organisms aren't catching up to them yet? I mean, are there some safer than others around this kind of a problem? You're right. We do have some still what I call big guns, those antibiotics that kill everything. But we want to be cautious in using those. In fact, there was a period of time when many antibiotics were under development and being released. But unfortunately, now we haven't had any new ones for a while. So we want to keep those that are very strong and potent and can kill everything to limited use. The challenge is for simple outpatient infections where people are coming into the primary care doctor or urgent care or emergency department, we've been using antibiotics that are much stronger than needed to treat that infection. Now, would you say, I mean, how do you counteract that? I mean, I would imagine that some of that is a measure of which representative has been there relatively recently, maybe, you know, I'm I'm sure to some extent that may be sample driven, for example. I know that that's one of the ways that pharmaceutical companies, somewhat by nature, you have to kind of do it that way to be able to make these medications available for a physician to, to, to try. But do you feel like maybe having samples like that on hand is, is part of what we're talking about? Or Long ago, it was the issue of samples. Now, all you have to do is turn on a television and oh, they're being advertised. So the patient's asking for it. That's really working. Yeah, it's really <laughs> working. And, you know, we have antibiotics that have gone down tremendously in price and they are short duration in use. Um, and just I'll just say one of them, you know, ZPAC. People come in saying, I'm ready to get my ZPAC. Yes. But what they don't understand is that you're using a boulder when you can use a pebble to treat that. And they're not thinking about the potential side effects of that treatment. Now, when it comes to whether or not an, or, a, 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 an issue warrants an antibiotic or not, I mean, can you talk about when should we maybe think of either just watch and wait or prescribing something? And then I guess we can get into once we say, yes, we're going to prescribe something, how do we choose? Because you say there may be some that aren't quite as just, mm, if we go straight to the, to the big gun, we're missing some opportunity, sounds like. Yeah. So let's think of the common things. People will commonly go to get a, uh, be seen for infections that are from the sinuses, um, ear infections, uh, urinary tract infection, sore throat. Now, those organisms have been around for decades, if not many, many more. And we have some simple antibiotics that treat them fine. But instead, we're using some of these antibiotics that were developed to, to treat serious infections in the hospital, but we're using them in an outpatient setting. And that's where we're getting into the challenge. So let's say a person comes in for a sinus infection. Oh, they're, they're blowing their nose and it's green discharge and they have a headache. Yes, they have a sinus infection. You are correct. But the challenge is more than 90% of the time, a sinus infection is a virus. Yes. And so antibiotics are doing nothing but exposing you to higher risk. That and making me feel like I'm getting some kind of treatment when, in fact, there are some things, apparently, where time is really the only real treatment we have. Yeah, but you or know... symptom mitigation, maybe. Exactly. So we need to focus on symptom mitigation. The person is coming because they're sick. 
Right. They are legitimately sick. We need to acknowledge that. But then we need to hear them and treat their symptoms. I'm in pain. Let's use Tylenol. I have a cough. We could use a cough suppression. I have thick mucus. Let's use something to thin out the mucus. Let's get you to rest at home and not spread this virus around. When it comes to trying to get a little bit more educated about it, we can, we have both physicians and other prescribers, nurse practitioners and PAs and so forth that check out the show from time to time. We also have lay people that are just interested in healthcare topics. So if I'm one of those folks that's not a clinician, maybe I don't know all the ins and outs of, of uh, prescription medications, what's a good place to go? I'm sure the the Ask Your Doctor advertisement is probably not the best place to uh, decide, okay, that's what I, I've got that, that's what I need. Where, where should I go and learn whether or not my problem could relatively truly be treated without an antibiotic? Excellent question. So the CDC started a campaign last fall called Get Smart about antibiotics. And the website is getsmartatcdc.gov. There is a wealth of resources in there geared for patients or clinicians that you can look up by symptom, whether you think you have a cough or a cold, or if you think it's a sinus infection or a bladder infection, it tells you the more common symptoms, the correct treatment, and the simple antibiotics one should ask for. Now, is that separate from their core elements of outpatient antibiotic stewardship? It sounds like that one may be a little bit more aimed at the physician side of things. You're right. So this website was designed to meet everybody, depending on your need. And so there is a patient portal part of it, and there's a physician portal. You know, CDC has been involved in trying to make appropriate use of antibiotics in different settings for some time. And so they have put together toolkits for hospitals and nursing homes. Now, a new tool that's on that site is the CDC outpatient for antibiotic stewardship toolkit. And so that's the one that's really geared for physicians. It lets them know all the steps needed to do this right. Now, would would, would resources like the various applications nowadays that um, in my day, it was the giant book, the PDR, they've got that on your device now. Now, do, do those types of applications these days with the emergence of these antibiotic resistant organisms are those medication resources that are telling me if I'm wanting to prescribe for this, that I can pull up my device? Does it give me some information at that point where I'm maybe turning to, to that kind of information as a prescriber? Yes, as a prescriber, there are a couple of resources for um, antibiotic use. And on the CDC website, they do have a specific set of uh, a tool that's guidelines for all of the outpatient conditions, how they present what's the diagnosis and what's the treatment and what's the recommended antibiotic if you choose to use an antibiotic um, and ask the patient to wait first and see if they don't get better in a couple of days, which is a key thing to use. Um, There are some apps that one can um, download about um, antibiotic use for clinicians, and they're proprietary, so I won't mention their names. I see. I'm speaking with Dr. Adrian Mims. She's with Alliant Quality, and we're getting into antibiotic-resistant organisms. And when we're talking about maybe being able to either as a patient ask for some sort of help with my symptoms or I'm a physician trying to decide what to give. Are there some natural or non-antibiotic 
therapies that might be able to be used to gain some benefit for, say, I've got a uh, some kind of an upper respiratory infection or even a chest cold of some kind or a chest infection that's not bacterial? Because we, we know that by a culture, I would assume, to, to determine whether we need antibiotics as part of it. Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that about the culture. These conditions are so routine that no cultures are necessary. So for ear infection, sinus infection, no culture is needed. Okay. We don't need to get a culture. If you uh, took some of the secretions, they're usually false, and we I already see. know that they're viruses. Now, if it was a sore throat, the most common cause for a sore throat that we need to use antibiotics is strep throat. A simple antibiotic, penicillin or moxicillin, is sufficient. Unfortunately, some people are getting, again, those big guns for those. So, you know, for the vast majority of outpatient antibiotic uses, no culture is actually needed. I see. Now, for a urinary tract infection, we're now sending off cultures because some of those bacteria are becoming resistant to the organisms we're used to treating, and we then need to modify some of the antibiotics that we're using. But the other ones, nope, no culture needed. And from what I understand, I could be wrong, but it, if my memory serves, one of the big reasons, not just the fact that a lot of people are taking antibiotics, but one of the big reasons that these organisms are becoming resistant to antibiotics is born out of the fact that you talked about a, a bladder infection, for example, very uncomfortable. Um, your life is miserable when you have that until you start getting that right antibiotic on board. And, and once you do, you can start turning the corner pretty quickly. And from what I understand is once I start feeling well, uh, I don't feel like taking my antibiotic all the way in because nowadays it seems like half the time I've seen them given, it's a 10-day course of, of antibiotics and you need to take it all the way to the end, even though you feel great. Yeah, well, you know, last week I had a, a, a root canal and she gave me a week of antibiotics and I took the last one today. We have to understand that, yes, some of the older, more specific antibiotics do have a longer course than the big guns, very more expensive and broad spectrum ones have been reduced in time frame. But think of why we're doing this. We're doing this because of this emergence of resistant bacteria that are killing people, mm -hmm. and we all have a part to play in this. And so although you might take that antibiotic for three days for a valid infection that is important to use, don't stop because it's not all gone just because your symptoms are gone. In addition to that, you know, I trained a long time ago, and almost every treatment was 10 to, to 14 days. Mm -hmm. But we know a lot more now. And we know that some of the common treatments can be significantly shorter to three to five days, especially like for a bladder infection that I recall, I won't date myself, but 10 days was the usual course of treatment. Not anymore. Mm -hmm. Sometimes just one dose is sufficient. But the key is however many doses this particular prescription entails, take them all as it's prescribed. Don't take, stop early. Exactly. Take them all because you haven't killed off all of the bacteria. That bacteria has been suppressed. And when you have to stop and then start all over again, that leads to this resistance problem. So when you don't finish that whole course of antibiotics, you are contributing to the development of these antibiotic-resistant organisms in the community. Now, obviously, talking about organisms that become resistant over time to these medications we rely upon to treat various infections. And as you say, once they get out of control they can certainly lead to significant 
health problems, if not outright death. But what are some of the other issues that I need to be aware of? If maybe I'm a parent and I just, you know, I, I want to see my child feel better. So I'm sitting here requesting antibiotics. What are some of the things I need to be aware of that these antibiotics can do? Because some of them, particularly some of the more powerful ones can come with some pretty significant side effects just themselves. You're right. And almost any antibiotic will have a side effect. But we need to be aware of what the side effects are. A rash, diarrhea, for women, a yeast infection. Mm -hmm. And those are not uncomfortable. And when they're severe and can precipitate a severe allergy or asthma attack, people end up in in the emergency room and hospital for that. And so they're not just simple medications that are easy to use and have no harm. There are some potential harms. Now, one of the biggest areas right now that we're concerned about is a bacteria called C. diff. C. diff. It causes a diarrhea. And when I talk to clinicians about it, about Three or four years ago, I would say, C. diff, have you heard of it? And a few hands would go up. Well, in this past month, I've had this talk with many physician groups, and most of the people in the room, their hands go up that they have been seeing this and and dealing with this in an outpatient setting. Interesting. Yes. I was quite surprised, too. Now, were those people exposed to any sort of a hospital visit at all? Because from what I understand, that's kind of where that has historically really made its environment. That's what we thought, because those are the sickest people who end up being hospitalized yeah. and getting the um, treatment for C. diff. But those people who got hospitalized from C. diff, their prescriptions started in outpatient setting more than half the time really? is what the data is showing. Okay. And so that's why all these primary care physicians are raising their hand and saying, yes, we're seeing C. diff, because not everybody who has it has to be hospitalized, and they're seeing more of it now. Now, if you are, you know, a robust, healthy person, you may take an antibiotic, you may get some diarrhea, it may be prolonged, you might go back and find out you have C. diff and take another antibiotic to treat that. Mm. But if you are a frail senior or you have some other medical illnesses, that diarrhea can be severe enough to send you to the hospital. Mm-hmm. People have died from this. Oh yes, it can. You can get septic and 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 get so severe. I've seen some patients that I just could not believe how severe the diarrhea was when I was working in the intensive care unit years and years ago. And back then, I had no idea just how serious of a problem that it was. I just knew that when a patient had C. difficile, they were very sick. But I mean, it's it's risky for everybody because it's so difficult to eradicate from the environment, particularly when you're dealing with with. Uh, you know, things like watery, watery discharges or whatever they may be, they, they're very difficult to truly get a good clean from. So I can imagine on the hospital side, but is it, when we're talking about patients coming into the hospital, they've started care for that outside. Is that an environmental thing? Is it just, is it just, I guess what that means is that much like any other organism, enterobacter or something like that, that would cause, uh, you know, GI disruption, I guess it's out there too. And if you're susceptible, then it can make you feel poorly and maybe sometimes take you to the hospital. Yeah, but, you know, we didn't see much of this at all a decade ago. Hmm. It's the fact that we're using all these antibiotics that are broad spectrum and killing off your normal protective ones that this little organism has raised its head and is causing damage. So if we need only a simple thing for strep throat, and we take an antibiotic that's forced directly that organism, 
then we're not killing off the normal protective bacteria in our body and allowing something like C. diff to develop and overgrow. So, you know, when we go in and ask for that antibiotic or we go in and ask for that z pack, we're setting up our bodies to lower our resistance and have organisms like this develop. Kind of a crime of opportunity that that organism's in the environment, you've weakened your own defenses, and now it can make its way and, and actually get some foothold such that you get sick. Exactly, exactly. And this, this is serious. Now, I know that the hospital environment is one that's very difficult to manage from this kind of perspective because some of these organisms don't always rely on necessarily a completely wet environment. Some of them can actually get airborne um, on aerosol droplets or just because they create spores of different kinds. I mean, how hard is it to deal with this kind of an issue? And and is, is the hospital environment one where it's maybe a little more risky as it relates to antibiotic-resistant organisms, or is it really kind of, doesn't really matter whether you're in the hospital or out dealing with an infection, you could have that organism be resistant to an antibiotic you need? Well, let's, let's put it this way. When you go to the hospital, you're sick, so your resistance is low. The hospital bacteria have been exposed to the big guns. They're the and tough so they're guys. Real, They've been working out. They're really, <laughs> so, so you don't really want to be in the hospital for very long because your resistance is low and those bacteria are there. Now, they do an outstanding job with um, sterilization mm-hmm. and keeping things clean. But, you know, some things are around and so you just don't want to be too exposed. When it comes to looking at this issue, would you say that there are some particular strategies for your prescribers out there that they should consider to uh, to tackle this. I mean, are they are they cha- how much how much traction are we making with re- regards to changing the way that prescriber thinks about the antibiotics? And we've we've got programs like the CDC here is talking about trying to raise awareness and maybe change the thought processes. Are the trend lines showing that we're paying attention to that? Well, the good thing is that we are now devoting national resources to this. Because the CDC has come out with that outpatient antibiotic stewardship guideline, every state in the country is currently spreading the word and bringing in outpatient practices. Family medicine, internal medicine, urgent care, emergency department, federally qualified health centers. We're getting everyone on board to start listening to the message, because there are four steps to what they can do. Number one, as an organization, they need to make a commitment. They need to understand how important this is, make this someone's job, and hold them accountable to Mm -hmm. it. Number two, develop policies that allow the staff to follow what the correct prescribing guidelines and choices of antibiotics are that are commonly used in their setting. Number three, when you embark upon a program like this, you want to track and see if it's working. So you want to see how you are at baseline. Let's say if we're talking about overusing antibiotics for strep throat, when if something simple like penicillin or amoxicillin will work, and we're using a Z-Pack instead, how often have we been doing this over the last six months? Mm-hmm. Set a goal for improvement and then track that and share that information with the prescribers and everybody who is working in that clinic so they'll know. Now, I think the fourth part of this is the most important, and that's education. 
We need to educate the patients about why this is not something they need to do because of side effects. But we also need to educate the clinician that I know you're worried about patient satisfaction. I know you're worried about throughput and how much time you're spending with the patient. But the best care, the safe care, is having a dialogue with the patient to have them understand why you're not giving them the antibiotic. When it comes to this kind of problem, I'm, uh, it, it feels like, in a way, it's almost like a chronic disease because it's somewhat behavior-driven, very much behavior-driven, really. Over time, we've kind of prescribed antibiotics. If a patient wants a particular one, in this case, you're describing the z So many people know about it and they're familiar with their kids getting it ordered. They go in asking for it so many times now. Um, I'm curious to know if if this kind of part of my practice comes into play as it relates to some of the things they're measuring around the whole value-based um, reimbursement kind of side, the side, that side of my practice. Does this kind of outcomes, if I'm prescribing medications like antibiotics and patients are coming down with resistant infections as as part of my patient population. Is that coming into play and affecting that side of things at all or no? Yes. Yes, it is on two areas. One, there is a HEDIS measure, which is a quality measure that's used by all insurers. So if you take insurance, they're following this HEDIS measure. This particular one is looking at how often are you prescribing an antibiotic for a chest cold, also known as, um, you know, acute bronchitis. Mm -hmm. That's a chest cold, a virus. And they're tracking and following that. Okay. And so if you have high numbers on inappropriately using antibiotics for that, you get a ding on this quality measure. In addition to that, for those clinicians who are not prescribing it for acute bronchitis or using narrower spectrum antibiotics for sore throats, or waiting in terms of um, providing a prescription for ear infection, they will look less expensive and more cost-effective and having higher quality of care compared to their peers down the street that's writing out Z-Packs for everything. So the insurers are watching this for quality measures. That's interesting because, you know, like I was saying, when it's when it's one of those things, you're sitting there talking to your patient with diabetes and they've got a high BMI and you're asking them to change this behavior that's just kind of been a habit for most of their life, right? Well, same kind of thing we're talking about here. There's just been this way we've been doing things that over time hasn't really felt very painful for me, not been a lot of ramifications. I can somewhat see the value of this kind of outcomes-based reimbursement coming into play to try to curb some of this. I would imagine that's making more people pay attention. You know, we're just starting with that for people to be aware of it. So the measures are there. This is a new campaign. A year ago, nobody heard about it. So we're just on the wave of trying to modify this behavior. I'm glad you said it was a behavior. Behaviors can be modified. Mm -hmm. And before, people did not know the ramifications about the harms. Right. And so nobody talked about it. It was fine to use. People were very concerned about how much time I spent with the patient and patient satisfaction. But they weren't aware of the concern of the high costs the side effects, and the harms. And now that we're bringing those into part of the conversation, that will allow us to leverage changes in the behavior on both sides. 
Well, before we let you go, talk about the the CDC resource that they have available in case either a patient may be listening or a prescriber may be listening that talk about giving some information about either A, how should I prescribe antibiotics or if I'm a patient, that things that they should know before they go asking for them. Great. So the CDC has put together a website and it's called Get Smart with Antibiotics. So it's getsmartatcdc.gov. And I think it's a very useful place to go search for either as a patient or especially as a clinician. It has a wealth of resources and tools. Now, we are also recruiting practices who would like to become supported and coached in developing their outpatient antibiotic stewardship. So they can feel free to reach out to me directly. Well, and if you also want to link up with Dr. Mims around her expertise in Medicare quality improvement with Alliant, you can go to www.alliantquality.org. They have great resources, can help your healthcare organization or practice make sure that you're complying with the reporting kind of requirements that you have, as well as being able to look at issues like this that improve the outcome of your patient and also simultaneously improve the performance of your practice against some of those value-based measures that are out there today that can impact you know, how you're reimbursed for the care you provide next year or a year after that. So I appreciate you coming in and, and sharing this information. It's one of those things where it's a little worrisome for me to think about because you talked about 2 million people dealing with infections caused by antibiotic-resistant organisms and 23,000 people per year dying from those types of infections. Pretty significant problem that we're talking about here. That Those That's are 2 million people who are dealing with, I, I've, I've known two friends for sure who've had a resistant organism and it was weeks long uh, that they were dealing with it and sometimes repeat surgeries and different things like that. So uh, obviously a big a big problem and a, a big clinical impact. So I'm really happy to be able to share some resources out there that can help us change those behaviors, maybe make some better decisions both as a patient or as a significant other of a patient and as a prescriber who's trying to decide what to give them. Maybe they don't, they ask me for a ZPAC, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get a ZPAC. You know, and then maybe... The way I educate them about why I, I would advise against this would be helpful in terms of trying to make that a not a contentious conversation where I'm not just giving the patient what they ask for, but I'm giving them true expert advice. This is why this is not a good choice. And we found that if practices have a simple poster in their waiting room saying, I care about your health, antibiotics are not always appropriate and can cause harm. I will use them when appropriate. That has decreased some of the demand. And all of the materials that the CDC has and Consumer Reports has developed, they have one-page flyers for each infection that is presented directly to the patient's needs or thoughts about their condition and can advise them why they don't need an antibiotic. Well, clearly, you got some great information to share with our listeners around these topics, so I appreciate you coming back. We'll have to have you back again. I'm sure there's going to be some other things that we can get into that'll be useful for those folks who are checking out our show. Thank you very much. And everybody out there, if you've not done so already, in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Top Docs Radio Show podcast lives. Subscribe to us. That way, each week when the new episode comes out, it's downloaded to your device. You can check it out when it's convenient for you. It's a big topic that that can impact many people. Anybody, think of somebody that's having surgery or 
people who have children with respiratory infections, they don't necessarily need antibiotics. So if you can share this information with us, put it out on Facebook, LinkedIn, and those types of places, it'll help us reach all those folks. It's all about getting the word out. We want to say thanks very much to our partners, the Medical Association of Georgia. I have to say over the last three years have been providing some really great guests. We've done some really cool shows and and gotten into some topics, I think, that uh, can make a difference out there. So it's been a big uh, honor and pleasure for me to uh, partner with those folks. Hopefully, we'll uh, catch up with you in the studio again. Thank you. Everybody out there who made us a part of your day today, thanks so much. We look forward to catching up with you next time. We'll see you then. 